everybody. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Today on the show, we are going to talk about children with telekinetic powers, everything from, well, not everything, from Firestarter to Stranger Things. Ladies and gentlemen, it's a trope we like. It's a trope we love. But first, <sighs> I wanted to, <laughs> she sighs at me. I just okay. needed to take a deep breath. It just felt kind of good. It wasn't anything personal. Ah, you're right. It did feel good. See? I wanted to mention that I broke a world record. I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> I went to an event in June. I mean, it's already August 3rd. I've had my birthday. Everything has already happened. But I went to an event in June and I broke a world record. Uh, there is an event I've been going to for the last 10 years called World Domination Summit. Yes, I know you want to go, but they're not doing anymore. They only did 10. <laughs> so I'm not publicizing the event in general, but it was mad fun for, for 10 years. I went to seven of them, seven or eight of them. Anyway, they're a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun. Amazing experiences. This is actually my third world record with the WDS group. But this time... Wait for it. We all dressed up in inflatable dinosaur outfits. You were telling me about this. 380 of us gathered in public, and we broke a record for the most people in dinosaur suits. Thank you very much. Oh, my God. The record Wh where, before that, Where were you? I was in Portland, Oregon. But, like, where? Pioneer Courtyard Square in the middle of downtown Portland. That's awesome. Yeah. In Portland, they probably didn't even think twice. There was a lot of people watching us. It was a lot of fun because we got out there at eight in the morning and everybody got their little suit and I got to experience what it's like to be in a blow up dinosaur suit. And yes, yes, I now own one. I can come to your child's See, party. I That would not be as fun for me because I'm not very tall, but well, I think for, for a tall person, it'd be kind of fun to dress up like a dinosaur. Well, there were lots of short people there. Well, they, but I don't think they were having as much fun as you. <laughs> She's going to tell all the short people how. <laughs> bumping into things. I don't know. I don't know. We the were all bumping into things. Way. You have no peripheral vision. So what I was going to say was the previous record was 252. And we hauled our happy asses out there on a Friday morning in June and broke the record with 380 people. And so what they do is they count you with a drone. They get all the footage because you have to prove to Guinness World Records that you actually did it and that there weren't duplicate dinosaurs. So they get out there with their drone and then the little woman comes along and they count you. And I was dinosaur number 301. Thank you. And then after all of that is done, what they had was there's a big stage out there. I've spent a lot of time in that courtyard because they have the opening parties and ending parties and events and stuff in that courtyard a year after a year. And they had a they have a DJ, a Bollywood DJ that they oh, use that sounds fun from year to year. So after the actual breaking of the record happened, then we all did a bunch of dancing in our dinosaur suits. And, that would be fun. And of course, I have video footage of that that I short can people would like that share with our people. Oh, I see. <laughs> Kathy speaks for all short people now. <laughs> so, if I have any questions of any of short people, you're my gal. Anyway, it was a lot of fun, and I recommend that you all get outside of your comfort zone and do crazy shit and have fun in your life. And because that's what I do. And now I have a dinosaur suit. Yes, you do. And I think I'd like you to be in it. 
one day. I can try it on. Of course you can. Okay. No problem. It's All awesome. Right. What do you got? I have a, first a quick piece of true crime news that is now a few weeks old, but I thought it was interesting. Tell us. It's not more interesting than wearing a dinosaur and breaking a world record. But That's true. But go ahead. John Hinckley Jr. has been freed from all court restrictions, yeah. marking the end of years of government oversight nearly for four decades after he shot and wounded President, well, then President Ronald Reagan. So Hinckley was trying to get the attention and affection of a young Jodie Foster at that time and thought that he would do that through attempting to assassinate Ronald Reagan. Hinckley was one of the first, if I'm correct, one of the first trials in this country where the insanity defense was a big deal. And after he was awarded the insanity defense, there was a lot of speculation around criteria. And so after it was after he received the not guilty by reason of insanity and went to hospital, they started to look at maybe it's a little too easy for people to get that. So it, it brought up a lot of controversy around. So he, it was a very important case law. It's amazing because I was only a few years old when this happened, but I, there's an essence of a vague sort of essence of me remembering, you know, some of it could be from memories being, you know, things being told to me or just the nonverbal memories, your parents reaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Thought that was interesting that he, after all this time, 41 years and two months and 15 days. Yeah. I've been following that. So I guess it finally happened. Yeah. And uh, there's an interview out, uh, talking about how he, you know, his remorse and all of that and, and just how he's very aware that he, his reputation and he's one of the most hated men out there. And anyway, so if you're interested in that whole piece of history, there's a lot out on that right now. Um, and then the other thing I just want to bring up real quickly uh, on a lighter note, those of you who love the Terrifier movies or All Hallows Eve, which is you, I, I do very much. Mm-hmm love the villain Mm -hmm. terrifier 2 is coming out this halloween nice looking forward to that we get more of that more terrifier Mm -hmm. yay i wanted to also mention i saw this article in deadline i think one of our patrons uh posted it in our discord and i wanted to share it it's been a while now we don't i can't always get to everything every episode but I eventually get to the ones that I'm interested in, and this is actually from May, but British actors call for more women over 45 to appear on screen to fight industry's entrenched ageism. And I don't know about you, but I watch a lot of British movies, not only horror, but a lot of British movies, and they have a lot of movies that are women over 45. And there are several uh, actresses that are, way of well over 45 that i admire greatly and watch quite a bit so it's a different culture they actually uh actually admire and look up to older people different i mean western culture is funny that way yeah and and i mean they're western as well of course but like i guess my point is is that 
they're fighting for it too. Like I think it's so much better for them, but they they're having to fight for yeah. it as well. Yeah. So it says uh, more than 100 actors and public figures in the UK have put their name to an open letter. So not just women, public figures and actors, every everybody yeah. have put their name to an open letter calling for better on-screen representation of older women to fight entrenched ageism of the in- entertainment industry. Among the signatories are Kelly Hawes, Leslie Manville. Uh, Richard E. Grant, David Tennant, Zaway Ashton, Mira Sile, and Juliet Stevenson, who I love. She's very famous. In the letter, the Aging Your Age campaign, or AYAC, said women in the UK only have a shelf life on screen while their male colleagues have a whole life and calls for a parody pledge with equal representation in the UK between men and women over 45. So see, I'm seeing them do better than us and they're still fighting for it too. Yeah. Yeah, I think we, I mean, as Americans too, sometimes we sensationalize them a little bit because their, their stuff is so great, but I agree. I I think it happens. It's happening in all of Hollywood outside of the U S as well. Uh, and, and I would like, you were you know saying that men are fighting for it too. I would imagine they were, be, they are because I think they probably want some diversity as well. And working with older established actors also makes their work that much richer too. Yeah. So. And maybe some of the older women that I'm talking about have, uh, you know, maybe this is coming about because there are so many talented older women sure. in the UK for sure. The letter states ageism targeting women is an entrenched industry staple that is outdated Acting Your Age campaign complains that women in the UK only have a shelf life on screen while their male colleagues have a whole life. This neglects the millions of audience members who appreciate seeing women over 45 telling the stories of our lives. So the AYAC was founded four years ago by Nikki Clark and lays out recommendations. And here are the recommendations that they're making. And you guys tell us if you think this is unreasonable. All on-screen fictional content and light entertainment programs with male and female leads or presenters should have 50-50 equal gender and age representation. Second, writer-performer dramas and comedy commissioning to feature 50-50% age and gender parity in programming and for all broadcaster diversity initiatives to incorporate age. In other words, the diversity stuff that they already have in place for race and ethnicity should also include age. Number three, presenters of documentaries should be represented equally as well with 50-50 gender initiatives. Age parity in political panels, discussions, news packages, and studio guests. Number five, news pieces on women's physical and mental health and violence against women shouldn't have exclusive bias towards younger women. And number six, celebrity and entertainment news should feature women and men over 45 equally and use recent photographs. Mm. You know, you see that a lot. Yep. Oh, here's Maggie Smith. And they show a picture of when she was like 50. Oh, my As gosh. opposed to who she it's is so now. so insulting. Yeah, really insulting. So, you know, we're out there fighting. They are out there fighting. I'm not fighting nobody. I'm here talking about horror. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's a great fight. I think it's a great fight that they're taking up. And I'm... I'm I'm advertising it here in my little domain because I think it's important. And you guys tell us what you think. I mean, do you think those are reasonable expectations or just to have age included in all the other diversity initiatives, you know, tell us what you think. But before you do that, please listen to the next segment, which is a little thing that we like to call 
<laughs> I'm not even going to tell them what it is. It <laughs> was like a howl. I know. Uh-uh. Actually kind of sound like Liam when he gets really excited. <laughs> <laughs> we could just do the rest of the podcast without, you know, letters. <laughs> <laughs> like I lost my tongue. <laughs> Horror facts with Kath. Uh. Number 48 of the season. Mm-hmm. Number one. Mm. What is one of the most common ways people are struck by lightning? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Number two. How many deaths is Leatherface responsible for in all across all movies? She used her not, arm. Not she, remakes. She gave me a visual. Not, All the movies. I don't think we're counting remakes here. No? All right. Number three. What is considered the world's largest Halloween and horror convention? Okay. Oh. <laughs> Number four. <laughs> Roger L. Jackson is the voice of what famous villain? Uh, yeah. I'm going to come over and slap the shit on you. <laughs> Go okay. ahead. Follow me on this one. This is, <laughs> oh, this this is, is a, quite ridiculous. This is a tough one. Are you going to be able to read your own writing? Uh, barely. Okay. What infamously sleazy grindhouse feature about a motorcycle helmet wearing killer who uses a carpenter's tool to murder construction workers along with any women unfortunate enough to be having sex with them? <laughs> <laughs> I will the stuff, say it. <laughs> the stuff I stumble across when I'm finding horror facts with Kath. It's super fun, I bet. Yeah. Do you end up like stocking up for many episodes in the future because like you find so many good things? It depends because honestly, I ha- what ends up happening is I have to find the facts and then turn them into questions or I of have course. to find random. So some it's actually a lot harder because you'll run into a lot of the same material. So I have to oh, go down like- to be unique. I have to go down these rabbit holes sometimes. And and so when I type certain things in, like that popped up, wasn't looking for that. And I was no. like, that's hilarious. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, and it's good because it's kind of, I mean, you wouldn't have been doing this for so long if you didn't actually love horror trivia. Yeah, I mean, it, it, because some of you, it's so ridiculous. Because you have to read a bunch of it to like come up with interesting things yeah. instead of just like looking at lists and asking the same old questions. Right. So you have to like horror trivia, honestly. Yeah, because to if do. you if you go to like the horror trivia and you go to that, you get the like who what type of mask did Jason Voorhees wear? I mean, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> stuff that everybody knows. Yeah, in the horror like, I have to like dig and yeah, find yeah. weird course. shit and make them into questions. Yeah. <laughs> we, we appreciate you. And that's why I it's asked you about it. Yep. Cool. So today on the show, as stated, we're going to talk about children with telekinetic powers, fire started to stranger things, but first we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. 
You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. everyone let's talk about children with telekinetic powers shall we we shall <laughs> and i think we could start with firestarter and carrie because that those are the movies that i kind of first yeah. remember seeing dude that had that drew even. barrymore mm. she was so talented <laughs> She was so good in that movie. I mean, the movie itself is whatever. It's not that great a movie. But she's so great in it. The book's pretty good. But... And yeah, the dad, no, she's too. really good. Yeah. No, I, I mean, she is really good in it. I mean, that's what we can say about that movie. <laughs> I love when George C. Scott's, like, trying to, like, trick her into stuff. And she's like, no. <laughs> like, who the hell are you? Get out of here. She was so charismatic. She's always been so charismatic. Yeah. And I think when when I reviewed the new Firestarter... It was, again, the film is whatever. It's the same review. How was the girl? Except for I did say that the girl was phenomenal. Yeah. I, like, you would have to cast someone really good. That was the first, that was the thing I thought was that she was amazing. She wasn't 80s Drew Barrymore snark. Like a lot of child actors in those days, 80s, 90s, I don't know if it bleeds any farther than that, but there had a show business kid kind of vibe to them honestly and and drew has that where they're yeah. like the the word precocious used, was For used sure. a lot they don't this the children's stars don't actually have that as much anymore that's been very toned down they're not expected to be campy actors i mean i don't know for sure but we also you know child celebrity was very different in that day and yeah. they were put in situations where they were with adults in the wrong situations a lot of times. And I'm not suggesting that doesn't happen at, anymore, but there are more regulations around that. And um, Drew there had a, are union regulations now about it yeah. <laughs> and how you can work with kids. But, but you know, we know Drew came from a family of very famous yep. people and, mm-hmm. you know, it was in her blood. Well, and I imagine she was also coached sure. to be that way as well. That's kind of what I mean. Like the culture coached oh. young kids okay. to have that sort of na, 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 yeah yeah, you know, yeah. like that kind of like i'm your show pony kind yeah. of vibes and they don't really surely kid, temple kids are much uh, from what i could see kids are much more serious like it's even like the psycho gorman kid oh my God. the girl she's so amazing and she's very dramatic she has that she kid, is she has that kid dramatic thing yeah. but it doesn't come off like it okay. used to it doesn't to me it doesn't have that and from what i know about her on the set because we went to a panel of that at Monster Palooza was that she was very inquisitive, very interested in the craft, asking everybody like what their job was and how they did it. So, so like just really She is so funny that's just girl. a different kind of vibe these days. But the Firestarter movie is definitely one of the first ones I saw where that kind of that idea of children having telekinetic powers kind of imprinted on me. And then this new Firestarter, which I mentioned, obviously they chose to remake a not great movie in the first place, mm-hmm. but both girls were interesting. But the other movie that really was far more interesting to me, I guess, was Carrie. Yeah. I mean, both both are obviously 
and Stephen King stories, but Carrie for me, because of how wild and serious and scary and Sissy Spacek was phenomenal. Now, obviously she's playing a, a much older girl. Mm-hmm. She's a teenager in that. And she was obviously an adult in real life, which she was playing. At least I believe she was, she looks like she was, mm-hmm. but she's playing a teenager and, you know, giving, getting covered in pig's blood and surviving all of this trauma. And I feel like the justification for her telekinesis and what she ends up doing with it and our ability to get on board with that and want her to murder everyone mm-hmm. was just much more successful than in Firestarter for oh, me. Oh, for sure. You know, you, you feel for her and I can only speak for myself, but like having been a teenage girl right. and also, you know, everybody has been, I mean, honestly, every kid has been bullied in some way, shape or form, obviously some very severely, but you know, the light bullying that I may have incurred, you know, you can just relate to that sort of female on female bullying that happens Mm -hmm. with young girls, sometimes with older girls. So I just remember that being, you know, that fantasy. I would, uh, there's being able to, yeah. Trend, you know, attack your bullies and get back at them and, you know, that movie has, uh, well, first of all, the timing of it, right? Like the coming of age, being a woman at yeah. that time, the hypersexualization around sure. her getting her period and that being looked at as, um, you know, now you're, you know, this of course is the dialogue, the narrative of the mother, like you're mm-hmm. now this whore and they can smell you and just all of the, the pathologizing around a, a, a girl's fall from innocence to experience. And mm-hmm. I referenced this in the article that I actually wrote for the website where her character represented, I think a lot of that marginalization of whether being a a female or, you know, they use a literal closet that she gets locked in, in the film. But, you know, in some people who have reviewed the film, have also said, this is a great piece also related to the queer community and just the relevance of coming out of that closet. And so she represents uh, many of us, whether women, people of color, queer people that have had to endure that level of uh, bullying and why her character, like you said, you are rooting for her to kill them, right? It's like she's the ultimate revenge fantasy Mm -hmm. of so many groups of people and she you know i even think that the telekinesis for her is almost like a proverbial that her period her hormones or you know it's mm-hmm. like what a woman is actually capable of her strength and it's just told through telekinesis in this film yeah and i i just think it's an interesting it's a it's a trope obviously that gets used over and over again of like a fantasy that we can live out in horror films, which Mm -hmm. we often talk about how these things are a psychological process and how we can be drawn to certain things. And it's like, I think people are often drawn to, you know, children having these kinds of revenge fantasies Mm -hmm. against bullies, quite frankly, like that's really common, like stranger things. It's all through stranger things. If you watch season four, there's a whole through line of bullying and, and getting back at bullies, the underdog, you know, wanting to murder them with powers and, and all of that. And so, and I feel like anybody who's ever been bullied or had people really marginalize them in that way, you know, 
can work out some of those feelings by watching these sure. kinds of movies. But Very cathartic. I want to step back just a minute and say... We're talking about psychokinesis or telekinesis, which is basically the movement of physical objects with your mind. So sometimes in in movies that's represented by, you know, throwing people against walls, you know. I mean, there's a character in the X-Men, for instance, yeah. that, you know, does yeah. all kinds of damage. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, they all start in the X-Men as little kids in the special mm-hmm. school, right? Mm-hmm. Just like Hogwarts or any other special school. Yep. And they all have powers, and of course some of them have telekinesis and moving things. So just in case you didn't know what that is, that's what it is. Tele- having telekinetic powers. It's like that. It's like a, well, a lot of times they call it a hypothetical psychic ability kind of thing, but a little bit about the history of this, you know, telekinetics goes back to 400 BC. I think that's the first time we sort of documented that the, there's this key character in the Sanskrit epic, I'm going to butcher this name, but Mahabharata is telekinetically manipulates dice in this game that he's playing. And he, she, not sure uh, that they're playing to alter the outcome in his favor. I believe it is a, he uh, kicking off the sort of main plot of the epic. And it's an Indian Sanskrit story, as well as the Hindu age of Kali, that also is what this whole story sort of like generates. And then Mm. all of a sudden you have the age of Kali and all of that. So they're, they're sort of saying that that's perhaps the first telekinetic story. Interesting. Or or I knew it was a long time ago. I had no idea it was 400 BC, honestly. So, and then of course there's probably the most famous telekinetic of them all, which is Jesus. So, What what was Jesus doing in the Bible, if not using telekinesis to turn water into wine or heal the sick or mm-hmm. change a little bit of food into a lot? You know, all of those things are also telekinetic powers. It's not just moving things with your mind, obviously. Performing miracles, you know. Uh, Eleven in Stranger Things performs miracles when she uses her powers, you know, in the X-Men or Carrie or maybe the girl with all the gifts in the 2016 movie, The Girl with All the Gifts, which is one of my favorite telekinetic modern tales of a young girl with telekinetic powers or Let the Right One In from Mm -hmm. 2008. You know, the vampire telekinetic powers like Village or not Village of the Dam, Let the Right One In psychokinesis is like the umbrella term for a bunch of different abilities. So we were talking about telekinetics, like moving stuff with your mind. But with Jesus, it was like biological healing or the transmutation of matter, right? Mm -hmm. We see that a lot in Stranger Things. There's Eleven's not the only one with power. So it's like they move things into different things, Mm -hmm. right? Like a rock into a a wall or whatever it is. Uh, two abilities that Jesus displayed are those kinds of things like biological healing or transmutation of matter. Mm-hmm. We're talking about this in a mythological sense, by the way. Right, right, <laughs> don't, right. Don't confuse me. Yeah. <laughs> don't confuse us. A Sanskrit epic is not something that actually happened. I don't know if it actually happened. Did Jesus really live? They say he did, whether he was the Jesus of the Bible that's a whole other story, yeah. and that's not what I'm talking about. No, it's about. just historical, not These the- These are stories. yeah. These are stories, just like Firestarter is a story, Gary is a story. These are characters and stories. That's the way I'm approaching this. We're not talking about right. actual events. 
Because I don't know if the stuff exists or not. We're talking about right. telekinetic powers and horror. Well, yeah. Obviously, we're not. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's also bundled under that umbrella is like a supernatural healing, which mm-hmm. we see a lot in these movies, um, which sounds a lot like what Jesus did with Lazarus, by the way. Yes, it does. So did you know that the Bible was a sci-fi uh, <laughs> horror <laughs> epic? <laughs> with it, a lot it, of it actually powers? really is. Just saying. Yeah. I mean, the whole book of Revelation is... You heard it here. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Long before there was, you know, Gandalf, Lord of the Rings, stuff like that, there was also Merlin, which is a legend from King Arthur. So you've got... That was 12th century. So Merlin's telekinetic powers were so large and amazing that he could sail through the ocean in a glass house. Thick, transported... I mean, didn't he telekinetically transport Stonehenge, you know, like that's the story is yep. that Stonehenge was telekinetically that's right. moved across the Irish Sea from Ireland to England. So a long history. Let's just put it that way. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I guess some others that we've been talking about are the omen. That's where a boy, there's mm-hmm. a boy in the omen. He's got, I don't know, I would consider that telekinetic power. Sure. I mean, he has, you know, the the nanny jump off the roof for him and impale herself yeah that's the when you watch the omen that's that's what's happening he just like stands and stares and he's got that kid with telekinetic powers face on right whereas like the eyes are moving something or his brain is doing something they all have that same look but i know you were going to talk a little bit about how they're mostly girls yeah so uh, girls or just the more vulnerable right so we know that uh obviously what shannon was saying is telekinesis goes back historically but we know that it also became a larger trope in in genre in films in the late 70s and early 80s and some of that has to do with the i think the political climate of the 80s the rise in technology government conspiracies um and i think that was also a big play into stranger things and the government conspiracies and russia's you know ties to this Mm -hmm. whole you know, supernatural world and how they're part of the hive and, you know, it's the eighties. So we have to hate Russia, right? It's like, so um, on point that way, (laughs) it's totally on point. And, but what we know is, is is that the power itself is often assigned to an unassuming female character provides an edge and a threat that would otherwise be impossible. So Eleven or Charlie from Firestarter or Carrie White and Carrie or Olivia Wilde's character in Lazarus Effect or Jillian in The Fury, none of them would have this much of a threatening uh, presence without this power. And so it tends to be brought on by, oftentimes it's brought on by emotion, which oftentimes is assigned to a female character and could either be viewed as a skillful weapon or a metaphor for hysteria as far as I'm concerned. But horror films have used the former in most films, which results in the largest revenge fantasy and granting a woman a seat at the table of powerful men in horror. So telekinesis has been a believable strength because, you know, we could put women in roles where they physically overpower a man and we can have a suspension of disbelief around that. I mean, I guess you have to have some of that for telekinesis as well. Mm-hmm. But 
there is something really cool about a woman being able to move shit around and no matter how big the person or thing is in front of her, she's in charge and she can destroy it. And I, I do think that's why oftentimes it's either assigned to a child or to a female character. You don't really see it much, maybe in X-Men, but you don't really see telekinesis assigned to men in films. Gotcha. No, I don't. Uh, the it's a woman and it's a girl in in X Men, and yeah, the, that's why I brought up the Omen. And then you know, is it Storm? Is that who you're talking about? In Jean Grey. I, I don't. Oh, Jean Grey. Yeah, yeah Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. So it's oftentimes a female. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean you're just talking about percentages. Yeah, and just how I think how it's useful. Obviously, there can be you know male characters that have it and can work. It just it seems like a really good mix and i'm going to talk about something in a later episode because i'm reading that book men women and chainsaws and they talk about the um the difference in um it's not just about male characters or female characters but it's female characters with male attributes and male characters with female attributes and that's really what makes an interesting character and i'll talk about that on another episode but this sort of reminded me of that because it's like Mm -hmm. it's still very much a female character with a very powerful um masculine like power that can take over something that we don't typically see in a female character yeah and i think that's the case of a lot of different like ways they win right yeah in in horror movies you know the final girl concept is, is similar in that sense it's like the final girl is you know winning because they're kicking ass yeah and culturally kicking ass is a guy thing yep but i mean from a jungian perspective obviously uh anybody who studies depth psychology or jungian psychology you know talks about or knows about or like in embraces the idea that we're all on a spectrum with gender yep norming and of course jung didn't use that word and never used that word it was it was more about that we all have masculine and feminine qualities and that he wasn't he wasn't talking about gender right he was talking about masculine and feminine qualities he wasn't talking about your biological gender yeah it was it's the attribute yeah it's like Mm -hmm. i often talk about like i can really value being a biological female and coming at things the way i was acculturated as a biological female and the things you know we've talked about it on the show like women being more socially oriented or more tribe oriented all those kinds of like Mm -hmm. Uh, things that are uh, nurturing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Whether you are those things or not, those are in that camp of feminine qualities. But there's also like protectiveness and all kinds of other things. So then there's these masculine qualities. And so like I've always been aware that in, in the room as a therapist, I can embrace my masculine and feminine qualities very fluidly. Mm -hmm. And so I am not a lot of people might think because of my age and my gender and where I live and all of that, that I might embody a, just like a nurturing kind of mommy figure. And yes, of course that gets projected onto me as Mm -hmm. it gets projected onto a lot of people, a father figure, a mother figure, Mm -hmm. like that's very common in therapy. But what, what's more common for me is because I do have a, well-handled masculine side masculine qualities that i that i'm aware of where i am on the spectrum of that's not exactly always the projection for me that Mm -hmm. it's it's much more strong protective fighting for you advocate you know that sort of daddy thing Mm -hmm. that happens a lot so so it's interesting that you bring that up because in the 80s 
It would have absolutely, absolutely been a little girl. Because what's more dramatic than a little well, girl who can kill you? Well, and that's with her just, mind. and that's just it. And in the book too, you know, the the men, women, and chainsaws book, they talk about you take the same character. I'm sorry, that you take the same, yeah, you take the same character and you make that character male, mm-hmm. and it's not as fun to watch yeah. because it's not so much that it's the masculinity of the character that we are really rooting for it's the combination of the female with the assigned masculine trait so they're like if it's a if it's just the masculinity in itself when we really watch just a guy playing that role it doesn't give us the same gratification which is a lot of times why the final girl tends to be more masculine ish Mm -hmm. she's not as over sexualized Mm -hmm. she likes kind of boy oriented things sometimes mostly brunette mostly brunette (laughs) and sometimes they even sometimes they even assign her an androgynous name oh yeah so just really kind of interesting i mean in in firestarter her name's charlie right so it's just interesting to think about and i'll I'll talk about this on another episode but i I thought a lot about that when i was doing you know researching this episode and and assigning a power like this to a female brings a whole different, it's not so much the power of it, it's the power assigned to the female. It's just kind of, it's cool. I don't know. In the it 80s, is. yes, it was a different thing. But so you've got some other movies, obviously. You've got things like Village of the Damned, which, you know, is a little gaggle of alien children. Ugh. You know, so both boys and girls, and they are alien children and, and and just like like let the right one in or whatever it's not that they all have to be sort of average kids without other tropes or powers going on because obviously let the right one in is i mean to me it's a vampire masterpiece in my mind i love that movie the original swedish version of course there's telekinesis in that mm-hmm. there's telekinesis you know village of the damned obviously they have those kinds of powers mind powers basically i don't have to move and i can fuck you up is right. really what we're talking about basically and then the fury of course is very very famous which mm-hmm. is brian de palma's another brian de palma very very <laughs> stylish 1978 horror flick mm-hmm. um let me just knock that one out for just a second like kirk douglas <laughs> it's a great cast john cassavetes John Cassavetes, Andrew Stevens, so Amy Irving. Uh, if you haven't seen it, I would urge you to revisit it. It's 1978, of course. But when a devious plot separates CIA agent Peter Sanza, was the Kirk Douglas character, from his son Robin, Andrew Stevens, the distraught father manages to see through the ruse. Taken because of his psychic abilities, Robin is being held by Ben Childress, John Cassavetes, who's studying people with supernatural powers in the hopes of developing their talents as weapons. Gosh, does that sound like Stranger Things or what? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Soon Peter pairs up with Jillian uh, Amy Irving, a teen who has telekinesis to find and rescue Robin. So it's a pretty good movie. I would just throw that out there a lot of times people haven't seen things from the 70s so yeah it was one of the it was one of the ones that launched that whole yeah it's absolutely and then so we're talking about the 80s of course and then i've also mentioned a few that were more recent um the girl with the gifts let the right one in uh the lazarus effect the lazarus effect akira is um japanese anime and there's a lot of that in in that um 
if you like that kind of art or like that kind of movie, Akira is, of course, the classic. It's, you know, obviously a lot of people have seen it. It's very classic, but it's got that X-Men obviously has a character with that in it. And then there's Beyond the Black Rainbow in 2011. It's a sci-fi one. You know, some people love it, some people don't, but it's a heavily sedated woman, Eva Allen, with ESP, tries to escape from the secluded commune where she's been held captive. Mm. So that's a, I, I mean, I like that one. So oh. just sort of depends on what you like. I mean, Friday the 13th, part seven. Exactly. <laughs> it's, you know, if we were to go down the road of characters in movies. Yeah. Like, well, and the music's always like, <laughs> like when they're using it, it's like this weird, like harp, Casio keyboard blend. <laughs> we need to get you that. We'll get Mannequin Uprising to give you a... A, a telekinesis cue. A telekinesis cue. cue. We're on it. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll like throw you across the room with my mind. You can I try. mean, Star Wars. We didn't even talk about the Force. Exactly. Star Wars, the Force, the Seven. I mean, come on. So it's in... I mean, Jesus, people. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Peaches Christ. So, of course, we were supposed to only talk about children of telekinetic powers, but you can't really do that. But, I mean, the children piece is is, is a really interesting piece of this trope. But, I mean, there are movies like Phenomenon, and, I mean, there are a lot of movies that, which is a full-ass adult male, John yes. Travolta. Yes, in it that is. One. Full-ass adult. Full. He's a full-ass John Travolta. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if we were to open it up to adults and all the things with telekinetic power, it's like a massive list, of course. But we mentioned a few. Thanks for this. I, I kind of, I really like this in movies, actually. I really like telekinesis movies. And I really enjoyed it in Stranger Things. And I hope you guys are enjoying it in Stranger Things. And they have a season five, right, for Stranger Things? It's a coming. So we're looking forward to that. And it's we are going to take a wee break and come back and talk about some movies with y'all. So we will be right back. Hello. Hello. Let's talk about some movies, shall we? We shall. We shall. I watched a movie called The Accursed. Accursed? Accursed. No, that's not what it was. It's called The Accursed. It's from 2021. And it's a horror film, you know, under 90 minutes. Hannah spends 20 years suppressing a Maleficent curse that was placed upon her bloodline only to have a family member knowingly release it, forcing her to kill or be killed. Ladies and gentlemen, I enjoyed this. There are a lot of actors in this that you may or may not recognize. It's not one of those movies where it's like super famous or anything like that. It, I thought it was kind of impressive. I really sort of liked it because it was witches. Okay. It's basically this young woman arrives and is, getting married to this young man mm -hmm. and 
it's the young man's family and all these women, part of the family, aunts and uh, there's aunts and uncles and grandma and everybody and mom. And she arrives to their kind of estate or their property and they're getting married. And that's kind of all, you know, but then you very quickly realize that everyone's a witch kind of thing because they, sh- they flash back to back in the day when some kind of curse was placed on the family. Okay. And then you're riding along with that, learning about that. And then you realize there's actually something a little off about the young lady. And so as to not ruin it, what you're going to get with this is witchy stuff. It's definitely a straight horror and there's a little bit of a battle going on and there's some frightening ass moments for me. (laughs) Okay. You know, where there's like the creature that's not the creature. It's like a ghosty or whatever it is. You know, the thing that scares the shit out of you jump scare, but also like spooky scare type of deal. Oh, I don't know. I got you. Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Uh, I like when movies make you feel that way. I I talked about uh, Black Phone last week, I think it was, and there were some moments in that where like, and I saw it in theater where it had been a while since I'm sitting there going, I I don't want to look at the screen right now. Like I'm literally You're freaked waiting out. And, and for I'm it to attack a, you. I'm sitting in a theater of like 50 people, you know, and I'm just like, I'm flipping terrified right now. Yeah, you're waiing for I it. I love to that. Like, that's what a horse is supposed to I feel know, like. Oh, and it's kind of rare in a way. But also I, I know that there are conditions I can give myself that will give it to me as well. The theater is one of them. Right. Because you're not on your phone. You're not on the computer. I leave my phone in the car too because I have an Apple Watch. So I just leave my, I don't even tempt myself with that. Yeah. And so if you actually do that at home. Yeah. <laughs> where you put the headphones on. You just get or, into it. And you, you set all your stuff away and you actually watch just the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of, of course, movies are going to bore you. You're going to want to go to the bathroom, go in the kitchen or whatever. But that's a good indicator. Mm-hmm. But if it actually grips you. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Yes, yes, excellent. Yes. Get some good scares. So I I just wanted to revisit. I know you brought it up last week as like ending the, you know, June month of stuff that we talked about, but I did watch off season. And I have very similar feelings okay. as you did. So the movie is upon receiving a mysterious letter, a woman returns to the isolated offshore island where her mother is buried, left stranded. She realizes that something is not quite right and she must unveil the mystery of her mother's past to make it out alive. Um, this is, yeah, you know, the atmosphere is great. It's one of those movies where it's more like the, the island or the area that they're on is is really the villain or what is alive. Mm-hmm. There were some couple, there were a couple of really good jumpy scary <laughs> scenes we're so funny we're like jumpy scary but i did like the ending yeah. i like what they did with the ending mm-hmm. i thought the movie itself was okay i agree with you it was a it, it's i think it's worth a watch it's decent yep. Yep. but i i i thought the ending was cool cool yeah it was good yeah no if you like the atmospheric and you like that noir kind of thing and you like the whole isolated island thing you know there's a lot to like yeah it was decent i i think that it's been done before that was part of the problem but i did like the the lineage piece of it and i did like the way that they ended it so Mm -hmm. yeah sounds good i also watched a movie called the dust walker oh this was bad okay (laughs) 2019 the poster is really cool it's got a big like octopus looking 
thing. It sucks. It. it sucks when the poster's cool, but such a great poster. And having been involved with media projects in the past that were kind of, eh, uh, I understand how a, a good, you know, a good poster is a good artist. And mm-hmm. I've had some good posters on some projects I was involved in. And it's like, eh, I don't know if we lived up to that poster or not. Yeah. But this is a 2019 and it's, it, it's funny. It's, it's a drama. It says it's a drama, but mm. there is a big thing, you know, a big like octopi looking thing in this movie. There's that. I mean, it has some creepy moments. It's low budget CGI. Which, as we know... That can be bad. Can be kind of bad. Yeah. Now, if you want to talk to me about the Ouija shark or... Supposed to be bad. You know, supposed to be bad. Lamageddon, you know, bad. Shark of the corn. Shark of the corn, like, bad. A lot of fun, but bad. But the thing about this is that it does have some creepy moments and you're kind of waiting for this to happen. And it happens in in the Australian... Bush, I think, 2019. It's a foreign film, so to me, anyway. I'm, I don't, I'm not from Australia, so it has some creepy moments, and it's got that slow burn thing at the beginning, and you're really waiting for that animal payoff, the creature, because the, the poster is aliens, alien, massive creature with tentacles, girl. Right. So you're just like you're waiting for that, right? Unfortunately, because of the low budget CGI, it's pretty like. Mwah. Because there's not enough plot. That sucks. That's so my there, problem. With the enough, actors were great. Yeah. The actors were good. The creep factor was really good. The build was really good. I mean, uh, I'm overstating a little bit, but like, I gave it two stars for for me. Okay. Two out of five for me is like, I'm not mad at it. Yeah. It was a solid kind of you know kept my interest and it, it was interesting, but man that. Ah, it just shows you how much we've gotten used to this low-budget CGI. You're going to do a big creature with tentacles? Either go practical or even even the movies that have to cheese out because of budget and not really show me the creature. If you've got a good plot and you show me bits and pieces or it's real dark and I can only see this, that, or the other, I'll, I'll go along with that. But a full broad daylight in Australia creature that's walking down the street or whatever mm. yeah no without a plot yeah uh, no yeah the bad cgi it, it um it 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 fell a little flat for okay. me sorry mm-hmm. i made my way through the etheria film night season two so if people don't know what that is it's known as the world's most respected showcase of horror, primarily from female directors, which is pretty cool because, you know, we need to represent and there aren't that many of, I mean, we're, we're getting there. Um, this season I liked quite a bit, actually. There were two specific shorts. So there's a series of shorts. It actually runs a lot like Black Mirror. That's kind of how I find it. But there were two specific ones I liked out of this season. The first one that I liked was Freya. Freya is a lot like a Black Mirror episode. So Jade is the the main character, considers Freya her federally regulated inquiry and yield assistant. So Freya is kind of like an Alexa or a Siri, considers her a friend. But when a one night stand doesn't go as planned, Jade is forced to question Freya and the system she represents. So 
This is a cautionary tale to technology, you know, being careful what we wish for as far as computers and technology being able to do so much for us. In the short, even when she goes to the restroom in the morning, it tells her what vitamins are in her system. It tells her what her BMI is. It tells her if she's pregnant. It tells her um, that she has to contact the father within a certain amount of time for legal reasons. It really shows how micromanaged our lives could become if we continue to um, resort to technology doing everything for us so it was uh, there was a, a lot of really great gallows humor in the short but it was also very terrifying because it was very close to reality um, and then the other one that I really liked in this series was Dana Dana was um, this one was from Spain so it was subtitled after surviving a late night attack Dana embarks on a mission of vengeance and violence that will change her forever. So it is a rape revenge fantasy, but it's done incredibly well. And I just, I thought this season was great. There are other episodes uh, on this, other shorts on this season that I enjoyed as well. Those were just two of my favorites. That's great. Yeah, perfect. I think that's on Prime, right? It's on Shudder. Okay, perfect. I also watched a movie called The Collection. From 2012. It's a horror movie. It's a sequel basically to The Collector. So it is a young woman named Elena sneaks out of her house one night to attend an exclusive party. Unaware of the horror that awaits her, a sick criminal known as the Collector crashes the party in search of fresh victims. When Elena goes into hiding, she finds and frees Arkin, played by Josh Stewart, the Collector's captive. Arkin manages to escape, but Elena is taken prisoner. A mercenary friend of Elena's father then forces Arkin to come along on a mission to free the young woman. Uh, Lee Turgeson is in this as well, who I loved in Oz. So he's he's in this. Uh, here's the thing about this. <laughs> <laughs> Pure sadism. <laughs> mm. The collection... Uh, Hmm. What do I want to say about this? It's pretty twisted. It's obviously this serial killer who has no remorse. So it's got it's that trope, basically. It's like okay. the guy who's a total sadist and is just killing to kill. I mean, one of the scenes is like a bunch of people in the party after the shit goes down, which I won't ruin for you if you like these kind of gore fests. Uh, after the first massacre happens, basically, they're all the survivors of that are kind of end up running to leave and then get trapped in this room. Uh, one of his things is having all kinds of contraptions. There's a lot. That's kind of a fun part of this movie. There's like contraptions. People get caught up in snares and contraptions. It's got a kind of a saw feel to it, only much more active. Um, but yeah, these people that survived the first massacre are trapped in this one room and then the room literally just squishes them. Mm. So the bottom and the top just comes down and it's got spikes and they all just get impaled and broken. And while that's happening, the main girl is outside, like talking to her friend and then watches her friend, like slowly get smushed in this room with all these oh, God. survivors. So, yeah, um, so you get the idea. It's grisly. 
Sounds like it. You know, they use that word a lot in reviews. It's grisly. There's a lot of bloody violence. It's that ser- this slasher slash slash. I mean, there's no <laughs> knife, really. Okay. There's just people dying constantly. And a lot of people, you know, I, I would say it's better than The Collector, <laughs> the first one. I mean, I think there's some, I think there's more, well, I would say it's just more more awful, Honestly, okay. I don't know if it's better. I, I haven't seen The Collector in a long time, but... More disturbing? It's just m- more twisted, sure, certainly. Yeah, there's it starts out and people start dying and it never stops mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it is also... Uh, it's not that I hated The Watch, really. It's not that necessarily. There's It's kind of no names to me. These weren't actors and actresses that I actually know. You guys might know them very well. Emma Fitzpatrick, Josh Stewart... And then it's just a run for survival, mm-hmm. trying to figure out how to survive it. And it's so it's pretty straightforward in that way. You've seen it all before. Yeah. But if you're looking for a Sunday morning gore fest, there it is. Throw it on. Okay. <laughs> you know, there you go. <laughs> Sunday morning. Enjoy. I mean, that's what I do with my Sunday mornings. Yeah. Horror church. Horror church. Yeah. All right. So now I need answers. Yes, you Kathy. do. Give me answers. What is one of the most common ways people are struck by lightning? You're talking about like location or activity? Uh, activity. Okay. Uh, struck by lightning. Mm. Running up the flagpole? Fishing. Close. <laughs> Fishing. Yeah, so close. <laughs> A pole? I don't know. He told me to guess, I guessed. <laughs> Twice as many deaths than golfers, because people think golfing's number one. Oh, golfing. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, fishing comes before that. <laughs> Running Imagine. up the flagpole. Because you're like funny. on the water. I was also thinking of like the men that, or men and women that work up on the poles, like doing oh, the electricity. The electric- oh, God. <laughs> Hopefully they're not doing that in lightning storms. <laughs> Hey, go fix the electricity, huh? No. Dumbass. Well, I mean, lightning storms, your electricity goes out. So I'm imagining that, you know, power well, companies out there trying to. Oh, God, that's terrifying. Thing. I don't know. Anyway. How many deaths is Leatherface responsible for? Uh, 18. 31. <laughs> okay. What, what is considered the world's <laughs> largest Halloween and horror convention? Monster Palooza? Midsummer Scream. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that was going to be my next. That was going to be my other guess. The only two I know of. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been to both. Roger L. Jackson is the voice of what famous villain? Gosh, I really don't know. Can you give me an era? <laughs> Surprise, Sydney. Oh. Um, yeah, uh, uh, Ghostface. Yep. Thank you. <laughs> and number five... What infamous? <laughs> this, this is so funny. <laughs> what infamously sleazy grindhouse feature about a motorcycle helmet wearing killer who uses a carpenter's tool to murder construction workers along with any women unfortunate enough to be having sex with them? Like at the time, <laughs> it's from 1975, oh. and the name of it is hilarious. Any ideas? Yeah, no. It's called the Nail Gun Massacre. Oh, so he goes around and shoots people with a nail gun, specifically like construction workers who happen to be having sex, you know, maybe at work with their helmets on or something. It's a real niche market. Yeah, seriously. Like if that's what gets you off as a killer, it's like not exactly easy to execute that. Right. 
can't so. be entirely random with that whole nail situation. gun massacre. You got to go f- to different construction sites. You actually have to predict people's sexual habits. True. <laughs> that That's a stalking like, involved. Sounds like a load of bullshit to me. Yeah. Motorcycle helmet. Wearing. I don't know. I have a problem with the realism there. Tell Motorcycle helmet wearing nail gun <laughs> slinging massacre. Yeah, because that was going to be realistic. Sure. <laughs> thank you for that. And thank you all for listening. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. And happy birthday to me. Happy now- birthday to Shannon. <laughs> it is now my birthday month. Happy <laughs> commence with the birthday celebrations and have a great beginning to your august thank you for listening this has been an episode of terror talk the birthday girl's name is shannon and i am not the birthday girl and my name's kathy (laughs) but we still want you to sleep safe everybody (laughs) 